Good morning, everybody. Uh, can we give Pastor Denise a hand uh, just for loving, loving our church so well, making sure we're up to speed and on the same page. There's so many wonderful things happening, and I hope uh, we could all engage in all of those things. Um, as she mentioned, we're in a sermon series in the book of James titled Authentic Faith. If you haven't been here the last couple weeks, encourage you to go to our website so you could see how we've been journeying in this critical book in the New Testament. And we're picking up where we last left off. Uh, we're actually going to read the final verse of last week, the section of verses we were in, and then we're going to uh, read a couple more verses so that we could have fuller context and we're going to dive right in. So we are in the book of James chapter 1, beginning in verse 18 to verse 20. It says this, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Let me read those words one more time. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Would you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, we come before your presence with expectation that you would speak to us. Lord, we need your word, your voice to penetrate the deep recesses of our hearts, to, Lord, to push back all the confusion and the lies and the burdens that seek to attach themselves to us. And we pray you would truly glorify yourself, reveal yourself to us in a fresh and living way. Holy Spirit, glorify Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. I don't know if you are familiar with this concept, and for some of you this may sound like a bit alarmist or, or why is that necessary, um, but for me actually this has become a part of our life since October of 2012. You may say, what's the deal with that date? Why is that date so significant? The concept I'm talking about is having a go bag. Have you ever heard of that idea? Now, if you have not, a go bag is essentially in your home, you having a bag prepared with all the essentials in case there's an emergency. Now, this is a, this is a bag that has everything you would need in case uh, your life gets radically disrupted. Why that's been a factor in our lives since October 2012 is because the community we live in, the Rockaways, at that time we experienced a devastating storm called Hurricane Sandy. And we did not have a go bag then, and because of that, we lost incredibly precious things. Uh, journals that I had been writing in since I was 14 when I came to Christ, uh, my entire library, little outfits that belonged to our kids when they were first born, um, things you can't get back, uh, photos. Um, you know, some of you are, are, I'm pulling your sentimental strings. You're like, oh no, I could never live if I live. But you know what's crazy? Growing up, 
Drug dealers had go bags in my neighborhood. They had bags that were prepared in the event that the feds came. This idea of being prepared in the midst of crisis is not just something that we have to have ready in case of storms or even if we're law-abiding citizens. It's a human reaction, a thought process, to be ready to go in the event of an emergency. And why I frame these verses in that context is because if you've been with this, you know that James is writing to a group of believers in Jesus that were Jewish believers in the Messiah, Jesus. And because of their faith, their lives have been uprooted. They have lost family, home, livelihood. They have had to uproot and relocate because they were being persecuted, hunted down, killed often for their faith in Jesus. And throughout this epistle, you notice that James essentially has been helping them to prepare a go bag of the faith. Life has been disrupted, but how can you keep going? How can you survive? How can you stay rooted in Jesus in the midst of turmoil? And if you look at the first several verses that we've been in, James has talked about how we can consider it all pure joy in the midst of trial. What do we do when we face temptation? What's happening in us when God is meeting us through difficulty and and tough circumstances? What's our identity when we have much or we have little? We've been traveling and journeying in some significant uh, corridors that we've been taken through, through this epistle. And today, we go into another space that adds to this go bag, adds to this, our capacity to be able to be faithful to Jesus, even in the midst of challenging circumstances. How many if you're honest, would say you're facing some challenging circumstances. It's okay to be honest. Be honest here. If you're honest anywhere, it's okay. Um, Some of you didn't raise your hand. I'm assuming you have a cramp in your shoulder, you know, because we're all facing some sort of challenge. Maybe you're the type that says, I don't like to talk about my stuff. I'm, you know, you dismiss it. You keep it moving. You don't got time to bleed kind of personality. I get you. I know that. It's New York. We're all facing stuff that James actually anchors us in Jesus in significant ways so that we can continue to be faithful no matter what we're going through. And verse 18, before we get into the amazing things that are in verse 19 and 20, it con- it, verse 18 connects us to things that James has been saying before we segue into these new ideas. And the first thing he talks about is that in Jesus we have this new life. Our faith in Jesus is not just a belief system. It's not just a set of truths that we've accumulated and called doctrine that we sign off on and we check these boxes and that makes us a Christian. Actually, first and foremost, our faith in Jesus is this new life that the living God infuses into dead hearts. That what Jesus has come to do, he's not come to create a new religion. He's come to make dead people come alive. And after he does that, then he could change our thoughts, our actions, our behaviors. So often we get that order in reverse. We try, legalism and, and religion tries to get people to change their outward behavior without new inner life. That's not what Jesus has come to do. He's come to give us new life. And from that new life, now we have the capacity to change, to be transformed, even in the midst of trial. 
But in these verses, the connection point between this new life, verse 18, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created, connecting that idea of new life in Jesus to verse 19, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. The connection between this new life in Jesus and what James is telling us now is this. Our new life in Jesus needs sustenance. Every living thing, if it is not fed, it dies. If our relationships aren't fed, they die. What happens to your bank account if it isn't increasingly fed as things are coming out? It dies. If your time isn't managed well and things are pulling... Everything that isn't fed, attended to, given thought and, and, and intentionality around it, it will cease to exist. We have this new life in Jesus, and James is connecting us to a pivotal posture that we have to have, even in the midst of carrying this go bag of the faith, even in the midst of trial and upheaval and chaos in life, he gives us this posture that we would do well to pay attention to. He tells us that we should be quick to listen. Can you say those words with me? Quick to listen. You see, you're already doing well. You're listening already. Quick to listen. If you want to know how you and I can keep growing in our faith, how we can sustain this new life that we have in Jesus, James gives us the first thing that's critical, and that is to have a posture of attentiveness. You've got to imagine these believers that he's writing to, their lives have been uprooted Many of them are fearing for their life. They don't know if they're going to make it to tomorrow, all because of their faith in Jesus. That's radically different than kind of the American gospel, the gospel that's often preached in America, and that is that your faith in Jesus will lead to greater comfort. Their faith in Jesus led to chaos and disruption. Some of you are feeling real good about yourself right now. I was like, yeah, I could resonate with that. My faith in Jesus hasn't always led me to good times. And, and actually, my faith in Jesus has led me down some paths that have been difficult. This is what happened to them. And he's giving them a necessary, critical posture in the midst of suffering, in the midst of difficulty. What is necessary for our new life in Jesus to continue to grow? What's necessary for us to to continue to survive the chaos while still being rooted in Jesus, says, be quick to listen. He's saying that what's necessary is for you and I to have a posture of attentiveness to the voice of God. The most critical thing when you and I are journeying through life and life hits you with a surprise uppercut, where you're going through something that you would have never imagined in your wildest dreams. You thought that relationship would last forever. You thought that job would be here till you retired. You thought, you thought, you thought, and now all of a sudden we're going through difficulties. James tells us in the midst of whatever we're going through, the way we can have a faith that continues to grow 
is to be attentive to the voice of God. How many have ever experienced the difference between someone really listening to you versus someone just waiting to speak? Have you ever had that? Isn't that fun? Uh, Or for parents, aunts, and uncles, how many have had the joy of talking to a teenager? Isn't that fun? Where they look at you and the image on their face says, I'm listening to you, but you know they're not. You know, it, experience tells you that you're going to have to repeat this and that they've interpreted it in their own advantageous way. If you're a teenager here, I love you, but I see your ways. I know you. And so I have a 12-year-old daughter. I'm right there right now. It's just like, pay attention. Listen. Listen. Don't just look at me. Don't just nod. What did I say? Uh, it, it, there, there's a big difference between posing or even like surface listening versus being deeply attentive. James is saying, if we're going to have an authentic faith and we're going to get through the trials, the surprises, the difficulties of life, critical step number one is to have a posture of attentiveness. In the midst of trials and temptations, what James has already talked to us through, in the midst of having much or having little, you and I, we have to develop this posture of listening to God's voice, of knowing that it's not your wisdom or mine that's going to get us through this difficulty. It's not your networking skills or mine. It's not our grit. None of those things matter at the end of the day. When life overwhelmingly hits you, the only thing that can get you through is to have a posture of attentiveness, saying, Lord, What are you saying to me? What are you saying? I know you're trying to speak to me and things are distracting me and the volume of life is trying to get loud while you're whispering, Lord, what are you saying? Help me to be attentive. For some of us, that's a new concept or that's not actually deeply ingrained into the core of our faith and what it means to follow Jesus. It's very easy to develop a following of Jesus that's incredibly just cerebral and very rational and very logical and has no space for something so supernatural, so sublime like hearing God's voice. But I want to be clear, the way I'm not talking about something mystical or spooky or unscriptural. Actually, the first and primary way that you and I hear God speak to us is through the scriptures. If you're going to get through trials, if you're going to get through temptations, if you're going to experience loss, if you're going to go through the upheaval that these folks have gone through, the only way you can get through it is by living attentive to the voice of God. And the only reliable, sure, steadfast source of God's voice is the scriptures. If you and I are not living on a steady diet of the scriptures, it will become quite evident when we go through suffering. When we go through difficulty, as they say, whatever's inside of you comes out once you get squeezed. Once the pressure's on, whatever's inside of you will inevitably come out. How many didn't know that there was more profanity in you than you realize, and then you got behind a a car wheel and you're driving through New York 
or someone chooses to sit on top of you in the train. Meanwhile, there's like an empty row of seats over there. Or, 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 or uh, you know, these days, man, there's no end to things that could irritate people to like another level. Like I, I'm hearing of this epidemic of people not being able to tolerate the chewing of others. Like it just like, because we've been together for so long, you know, in our homes, and now like couples are like, I love you, you're good, but if you chew one more time in my presence, I don't know what I'm going to do. And so the, the irritation, the things that we're going through, it, it, I don't know why I'm talking about all of that. Maybe just I, didn't need, I need to process something in the presence of our church. Um, the way that we get rooted, the way we endure, the way we go through trials and circumstances is to have a steady diet of the scriptures. It's one of the reasons why in our service last time we were together in person, we paused to make sure that we're not just hearing Scripture, but we're actually internalizing it. That's why Pastor Denise walked us through Lectio and gave us another tool for us to just sit with Scripture, to make sure it's not just passing from one ear to the other, but it's actually going deep within us. And not only do we do that within that format, but in our church, we've had various Bible studies, we've studied uh, various books, various sermon series, all with the intent so that we could be a people that are filled and rooted with the scriptures. But that's not the only way that God speaks. God also speaks to us through his Holy Spirit, directly to our hearts or through someone else. And now the Holy Spirit will never contradict Scripture. God will never speak something to your heart that will go in in defiance against His revealed will and character in Scripture. And so Scripture is the final arbiter. It's what we use to judge and determine whether God is speaking to us or whether we're speaking to ourselves or whether we're being deceived. But make no mistake about it. God not only speaks through the opening of Scripture and understanding His Word, He also speaks to our hearts. You know, as I thought about this sermon, I thought about two critical moments in my life where God spoke to me through the Holy Spirit, through someone else, that they had no idea about what was going on in my life, and at that moment, I knew that the living God was trying to get my attention through someone who he was using. So the first critical moment was I was a freshman in high school. I had just become a Christian. I became a Christian September 26, 1994. I was 14 years old, and I had a very dumb idea. This was my dumb idea. God could use anybody. You're saying, that's not dumb. Well, just wait. Wait for it. It's coming. God could use anybody. He could even use dumb people. It's getting better. It's not done with the idea. So if he could use anybody and he could use dumb people, then why am I going to waste my time in math class? That was the full idea, right? So now, what was I doing during math class? I had my Bible open, and I didn't pay attention to a thing. Just reading the scriptures. I consumed the New Testament, like within a matter of like a week or something. No one knew this, because what happens? I, I thought it was a bright idea, but deep down inside, I knew it wasn't a fully bright idea. So what do we do in those moments? We don't share it publicly. You know, we kind of keep it to ourselves. Just like, hey, I'm, I'm trying this Coca-Cola diet. You know, you don't publicize that because you know that's a dumb idea. And so it, I kept it to myself. Nobody knew. I got a 55 midterm. 
in that class. No one knew. Somehow I was able to get to the mail, and my mom didn't even know. Got there on Friday. She was going to know by the next day when she starts sorting through the mail. That night I was in church, and it was our youth group. And we had a guest speaker. And after he preached, he began to pray for us as young people. And out of nowhere, when he came to me, he began to pray and began to share. Say, I believe God is trying to say to you that he wants you to be diligent in your studies. Because in your future, he wants to use you to speak to people that you would have never thought you'd be able to speak to. And a refined intellect will be necessary. And I was there, like nobody knew, but I knew. I was like, oh my God, I have been exposed. No one knew exactly how that was piercing me, but I knew God was getting my attention. That changed my life around. I took my grades seriously. I took life uh, academically seriously. I did my best to, to course correct at that time and realized that, yes, God could use anybody, so why not let him be able to use an intelligent person as well? That was a critical moment. Probably the other moment where I remember that absolutely changed my life. I was 20 years old, and I was invited to go preach at a church in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And I had never preached at a church on a Sunday. They had primarily been inviting me to go preach to a group of young people for the whole week. And it was 10 sermons. So it was night and day for about five, six days. And I never had preached that much at that point. I was intimidated not just because of the amount of what they were expecting, but more so because I was really struggling with my faith. I, I struggled to believe that God could use me. I struggled to believe that I was worthy enough. I was not truly standing on the gospel, the good news of Jesus at that time. I was more trying to earn my place at God's table at that time. Since then, God has changed that and he keeps changing that. But that was a, a pivotal moment. Nobody knew that I had been invited nor nobody knew that I was waffling. And I came forward to receive prayer, much like we do here at our church. Came and received prayer, and there was a guy, his name was Deacon Charles Ortiz at my church. And he prayed for me, and as he prayed, he said, God has opened a door of ministry for you, and you're hesitant to walk through it. God wants you to walk through it and trust him. And so I, I took a step of faith. Can I tell you, that week in Pittsburgh changed my life. The things that God did, I saw miracles that today continue to astound me, healing miracles, powerful things. And when I came back and I was able to report all the things that happened, and my pastor reasoned at that moment, he said, hey, why don't we let him preach at our church here on Sunday? Like, he obviously didn't burn the place down in Pittsburgh, and so we should... That changed my, I wouldn't be here today, the doors that God's allowed me to walk through if it wasn't for God speaking, being attentive. You and I have to be attentive to when God is speaking to us through the scriptures. We have to be attentive to when God is speaking to us through his spirit, through people. This, this has to be something that we always judge under the, the, the rubric of Scripture, but we have to have an attentiveness. So a question I want you to reflect on, are you living from a place of attentiveness to the voice of God? Or is your hope for wisdom coming from some other source? Are you waiting on God's voice? Are you seeking for Him to, to, to guide you? 
or are you relying on other things? I know that probably for these people that James is writing to and for us, this can feel like an unused muscle. This can be, feel like something that's either unused uh, and like never used or it's atrophied because we don't actively use it. And because of that, I'm going to describe a decision-making process that might feel very similar, might actually feel very natural. I looked up this article, Things to Consider Before Moving to a New State. Now, as you know, many people have moved from New York for various reasons. Um, as for me, I pray that I get to live here to my last breath. You could spread my ashes in Central Park. Uh, probably Prospect Park, because I'm a Brooklynite, and maybe find another park in Queens. Just spread my ashes. You get the point. Um, but I realize a lot of people have this tension. They're trying to figure out what it means, actually, to live here for the long haul. For some folks, it's evident they can't live here. Look at what this article said. Ten things to consider, because you may not be aware, as of 2019, 35 million Americans have moved to other states. Many of them in, from New York have defected to the South. No, I'm kidding. I love the South. <laughs> Some of my favorite people in this room are Southerners. And so, so some things to look for. Job opportunities. You don't want to move someplace where you can't find a job. A shift in cost of living. You don't want to go somewhere that's more expensive. Housing availability. A change in taxes. That's an important thing. Healthcare switch. Are you going to go somewhere where healthcare won't match your health needs? Um, moving services, can you actually pull this move off on a practical level? School quality, if you have children. Local culture differences. I have a lot of friends that have moved to Colorado and they love it for the first like two weeks because of the mountains and everything and then they say, this is the least diverse place I've ever lived in and so they want to come back. Commute type, that's an important thing. Climate. How many would say those are reasonable things? And you're just like, man, that's a really good list. I've I actually been thinking about moving. Thank you, Chris. Uh, I'm taking notes. Here's what's missing. This is just circumstances alone that are driving a person's decision-making. In all of these things, us as followers of Jesus should insert above, in the middle, and after, what is God's voice saying? I don't want to go somewhere where the grass is greener but God isn't watering that lawn. I want to go where he goes. You and I want to follow his voice because not everything's better that looks better on the surface. But some things look bad on the surface, but if God led you, that's where you want to be. So we want to be attentive to the voice of God. But just to give balance, this, this idea of paying attention, you notice James says, take note of this. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. And then he says, everyone should be quick to listen. It, it, it would be imbalanced for you and I to say that this idea of being attentive is only directed toward God. Where you can develop a posture of attentiveness just by being a prayerful person and being a studious person of the scriptures and being open to how the Holy Spirit speaking to us because you can be spiritual but be relationally defunct if you're not careful. In other words, you can become a prayerful person, but not grow relationally with others. And so as God is giving us these tools for this go bag, 
to have an authentic faith in the midst of upheaval and trial and suffering, when he calls us to be attentive to the voice of God, it's not the only place he's calling us to be attentive to because it, from the scriptures, our private devotional life is never separated from our public relational life. You and I never are invited to become spiritually vibrant in our devotional separate space and then be relationally disconnected. But often, if we're honest, there's a disconnect between our inner life with Jesus and our public life. And so attentiveness to God is not disconnected from our relational life, but actually attentiveness to God trains us to be attentive to others. You can tell, if you want to have a dashboard to be able to see how attentive am I being to God, one way you could know your attentiveness is if you ask yourself, how attentive am I to the people in my life? Because if you're open to God but not attentive to people, that isn't a balanced attentiveness. Jesus doesn't want you to just be spiritually vibrant but relationally defunct. Attentiveness to God is the training ground for us to become attentive to others. In other words, the more you and I are learning to pay attention to the voice of God, the more we're being trained to be able to pay attention to others, to their hopes, their dreams, to their longings, to their disappointments, to the things that challenge us. If your group of friends or the people closest to you never challenge you, I would challenge you to reconsider the relationships in your life. You and I need to be able to be attentive to the voices that God has placed in our life, even if they're difficult, even if they say things that we don't want to hear. But we won't be in a position to listen if we're not attentive to God. Because see, often God will speak to us through people, especially people we struggle to listen to. Who are the people in your life that you struggle to listen to? Think about that. There's probably some names coming up. For some of us, there's like you realize, man, a, a slow, pretty thick book is forming <laughs> of names of people that I struggle to listen to. What would it look like for you to be attentive to not just God's voice from Scripture, through the Holy Spirit, but also how he's trying to speak to you through the voices of people around you? But James doesn't stop there. He says we should be quick to listen and slow to speak. To be slow to speak, when you look at the original language, it means to speak with due thought and care. Requires you and I to be thoughtful about what we're saying, why we're saying what we're saying, when we say it, to whom we're saying it. See, hearing God speak to us and hearing God speak to us through people, it sensitizes us to the weightiness of words. Words are heavy. Words pierce. 
One of the smartest guys I've ever met. This guy has planted churches, he started organizations, he's a brilliant thinker, and to date, he has a haunting voice that comes up every now and then when he faces a difficult situation. That voice came from when he was in high school, came to this country from another country, and the guidance counselor in front of his presence to a teacher said, he's a dumb talker. To date, those words come up during tension moments. Words are weighty, they're heavy. Words can pierce you negatively or they can lift you up. And so James is saying, be attentive to God, be attentive to his voice and others, listen, but also be slow to speak because our words are weighty. They have so much power. You know, they've studied it out for every negative word that you say. You typically need a ratio of like seven to eight positive things to, to eliminate the effect of that negative phrase that you shared with someone. It, you and I need to be slow to speak because words are weighty. One of the most awkward but consistent things that I find myself doing with my kids is apologizing. It feels awkward because I wasn't raised that way. Things were said and done to me and it didn't, people just kept moving. <laughs> you know, I just didn't check in like, hey, how'd that feel for you? No, it was just like, whatever, uh, eat your food. You know? And so when I snap, if I have a moment where I'm irritated, where I react to my kids, afterwards it's awkward and they feel awkward, but I know they appreciate it because they've shared with me that they have, but it's awkward for me to pull them aside and say, I'm sorry for how I reacted. Please forgive me. It's okay, Dad. No, it's not okay. I shouldn't talk that way. I shouldn't let circumstances influence me to treat you in a negative way. It's awkward because it's like, I'm their dad. I could choose to not do that if I want to. But what makes me go there, as humiliating as it is, is because I know words carry weight. Look at what Proverbs 1019 says in the Revised Standard Version, when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is prudent. Some of us, the reflection at this moment is what does being slow to speak look like in, look like in your life? Who is the Holy Spirit convicting you right now that you need to be slower when you speak with them. Perhaps it's parents, perhaps it's children, perhaps it's a spouse or a significant other, a boss, a coworker, a neighbor. Perhaps you and I learn, need to learn to be slow to speak when people are expressing their pain and what they're going through and we are quick to judge that or push against that or, or to minimize that. There's all sorts of circumstances that you and I need to learn how to be slow to speak I know this can be challenging, but it's, some, it's a conversation that I've had many times over the last uh, year and a half, particularly with people that are not African-American. When I hear things that they'll try to minimize what African-Americans are going through, it's like, this is a time to be slow to speak. Listen. You don't understand. Don't act like you understand. I don't understand. Be slow to speak. Listen. Men need to be slow to speak and listen to the situations that women go through. There are things that women go through that men we never have to think of. 
Man never has to think of, if I go down, walk at a certain time, something could happen to me. Or, or, or a litany of things. We need to be slow to speak, quick to listen. But that's not where James ends. And we're going to land the plane on this poignant note. He says, be quick to listen, slow to speak. Be slow to anger. I'll be honest, when I began to read this text and prepare to preach, before I did some more studying, I was like, I'm not sure if I'm qualified to preach on this verse because there are things that anger me. And I don't always vocalize it, but I could feel it viscerally. I'll be honest, and I know this is recorded and it is what it is. There's pastors that anger me. Um, There's people, there's institutions that anger me. There's groups that anger me. But the scripture is not saying to have no anger. Actually, other verses of scripture tell us to be angry. But sin not. Actually, that's, write that down if, if you need some encouragement in your anger. Ephesians 4.26, be angry but sin not. In the life of Jesus, Jesus expressed anger many times. What James is not telling us is for us to have no anger, but what he's telling us is to avoid a feeling of intense anger that does not subside. To have epic scale anger, a punishing anger, together with the desire of revenge. When he says, don't be angry or, or be slow to anger, that's what he's saying. Be slow to get to the point where your anger pushes you toward revenge, where it's an epic scale, where it doesn't subside. Why would he say that? Of all the emotions, of all the reactions he could try to steer us away from, why anger? In the context of everything he said, here's something that I want us to walk away from. Anger robs our ability to be attentive to God and others. Anger of this scale causes us to cease to pay attention. I've walked with many couples over the years, and I can tell you, unprocessed anger is a moment in the relationship where people stop listening to each other. Until you deal with that anger, you can't listen to each other. You can't hear each other. James is telling us to be slow to anger because if we're going to be people that are attentive to God's voice and all of its expressions from Scripture, from the Holy Spirit, through people... Anger is one of the things that deafens our ability to hear God's voice. Let's be clear. He's not telling us to not be angry because, in fact, the lack of anger in response to troubling things should concern us. Over the last year and a half, there's been things that have happened in our world that, quite frankly, as a church, I don't feel we've been angry enough. And so he's not telling us to not be angry, but he's telling us to not let our anger get to the point where it consumes us, it becomes an epic scale, it brings us to a desire of revenge, because when it boils to that point, we're no longer hearing God's voice, and we're no longer hearing each other. And he closes with this powerful thought of why we shouldn't let anger get there, because he says, Our human anger is limited 
and its ability to create righteous change. Anger alone, even self-righteous anger, anger that feels very justified, doesn't change situations, doesn't change people, doesn't change us. Only the gospel can. Only God's righteous anger coming through our broken lives, realizing the limitations of our anger and allowing God to speak and move through us. Only when we process our anger in healthy ways can we be in a position to feel his righteous anger and and realize the the delicate severity of that and to not be so quick. When, When you realize how destructive human anger can be, it should cause us to be slow when we feel it. Don't deny it. You're probably feeling something that you should feel, but don't be quick to let it ferment and get its expression in you. What James is not trying to tamper down the expression of anger. He's trying to get us to a place where we're not controlled by anger. And why this points to the gospel is that quite frankly, Though God is angry with many of our decisions, he's angry with seeing how the the brokenness of this world continues to unravel. He doesn't change us through anger. He changes us with his grace. James is saying, remember the limitations of your anger. It doesn't change you. It doesn't change people. Only grace can do that. Be gracious in your anger, because only grace changes us. Could I invite us to stand as the worship team comes forward? As you stand, if you feel comfortable, could I invite you to just raise your hands in the presence of God, those at home, those here, could we just direct our hearts toward God? He said, quite a lot to us this morning from these verses. He's inviting us to really reflect and to consider some important things. Where are we? Where is anger controlling us and robbing our ability to be attentive to God and others? Is our heart open to the voice of God? Is that the posture of our lives? Are we listening to his voice, trying to be directed and guided by him? Or are we guiding our own lives through our own wisdom? Are we quick to speak rather than being slow to think and consider the weight of our words? Holy Spirit, you fill this room? Would you convict? Would you bring comfort? Would you change our hearts? Let's respond to God in prayer and worship and song at this time.